Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. When you see a coincidence, what do you call it? Just a coincidence? Or if the coincidence is meaningful to you, do you call it synchronicity or do you call it serendipity? The two words have different origins. Synchronicity was invented by uh, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, and serendipity by the British diplomat Horace Walpole. Walpole. The meaning of the words both overlap and differ. Synchronicity is often applied to spiritual and psychological coincidences, while serendipity is often applied to practical real-world outcomes. If you meet your romantic partner on an isolated beach someplace, is that serendipity or is that synchronicity? That's, that's up to you right now anyway. I have a new book in production with a publishing company called Sacred Tra Traditions that will help you find a clearer way of thinking about these important ideas. Most people think about serendipity and synchronicity as mental events. Our guest today wrote a blog post for the Serendipity Society on the involvement of the body in creating coincidences. That is a real contribution. Thomas Baruzzi is a cognitive science undergraduate at the University of Edinburgh who is about to enter his fourth year of studies. He has helped expand the university's cognitive science society, serving as event coordinator, president and podcast coordinator. He began his university career studying physics at Stony Brook University in New York. His interests dance between 4E cognition, predictive processing, artificial intelligence, Indian philosophies of the mind, serendipity, and feminism. He has organized a summer school for predictive processing, coordinated a seminar series on metacognition, and orchestrated a conference on serendipity and cognitive science. Thomas Baruzzi, welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. Hello there, and thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, we met at uh, an online conference and uh, had a nice connection. And so I wanted to invite you. And part of it was because of your interest in interoception and the body. Tell us about uh, a meaningful coincidence of yours that uh, may illustrate uh, that point. Right. Um, so let me start by saying that interoception, as many of the things sort of listed there in, in the introduction of, of myself that you just um, presented, are very new interests for me and it has been very fascinating to get into them because I found some sort of uh, connecting thread between them and uh, 
you know, being such new ideas and very new to the field myself. Uh, but I, I do feel like I have something valuable to say in this respect. So for example, speaking about uh, my experience of, of coincidence, uh, which I believe was very much related to sort of my interoceptive ability um, and that faculty of our bodies and our minds. Uh, you know, as you said, I started my undergraduate studying physics and uh, it was a very different type of life than the one I'm living now. Um, you know, at uh, the University of Edinburgh, I am studying a variety of things, studying cognitive science, I'm organizing a variety of things. Physics was a complete 180 turn from that. All of my life was physics day in, day out. In fact, mostly night, uh, spending a lot of all-nighters ever since the first day. So it was perhaps not the best period for me. Uh, a lot of things were going on. I wasn't finding sort of my niche in the school. Uh, I had broken up with my two-year uh, long girlfriend, it sort of, I'd broken from my two-year long relationship at the time. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't vibing with the people there. Uh, and so I felt very different. You know, and, and one of the ways that I felt different was that I, at, um, at my high school, I studied and graduated with the International Baccalaureate. Uh, the International Baccalaureate is a program that runs worldwide uh, that allows sort of students to have, um, to uh, be tested uh, on a, perhaps a system that can uh, be common within, uh, between many countries, right? And it's a very uh, intense system and it's wonderful. A lot of students cry and, and despise it, but I must say they walk out of it feeling, feeling uh, very rewarded. Uh, so this is what I had studied. The majority of the students in my university at Stony Brook had studied APs, advanced placements. That's the general sort of uh, scheme at the high schools in, in the US. And so this is something that perhaps they would tease me about, or perhaps they would like uh, ostracize me uh, regarding. Uh, and sort of during this period, I realized, you know, it was time for me to, to, to make a change. I'm Italian uh, at heart and with my passport. And so it was, uh, it was, I made a decision to come back to Europe. And, and during this period, I sort of needed a bit of a break. I needed a bit of a breather. So I went with my parents up to Maine and we had uh, a few days there, um, sort of relaxing, exploring the area. And one day we were hiking a hill. And as we were hiking this hill, uh, this one lady sort of just came over the crest and started walking directly towards us. There, there seemed to be no intent of hers to walk past us. Uh, or anything. So she walked directly towards us. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, us being an Italian family, uh, we're very sort of eager, eager to talk to her when, you know, when she stopped by. Uh, but I, th I guess the most shocking part was the, you know, the way it happened. Um, she came directly to us, she stopped right in front of us, and she started speaking to us. In fact, it was perhaps it was it was her intention, her initiative. And as we're talking, uh, I find out that she is uh, an international IB teacher. So she was traveling the world teaching IB in various schools. Um, and, what was in, you know, in that, what was she teaching? Uh, I believe it was history. That was, uh, that was her, her field. Um, could have been history, or perhaps something more in the humanities, perhaps psychology. Uh, but I believe history can't remember too well. Um, One of the things about her, as you told me was the way she looked when she approached you. Right. And right. she, she had a, well, would you describe that, her, her blue and her white? Right. I hope this isn't me sort of reconstructing my memory, but I do. Hey, we uh, do I'm, that all the time, you know. Which that. we do all the time. I, I'm definitely sure she was dressed in white, uh, in sort of a, a light blue, almost like the colors of the sky. Uh, she was perhaps older in age, but she looked very young. Um, you know, as I told you in our correspondence, she was uh, not only young 
physically, but she, you could see that she was young at heart. She was very happy, uh, uh, jolly, and, uh, and uh, you know, very well-kempt. And uh, so in this way, she, you know, blonde as well, blue eyes. So in this way, she really resembled an angel to me, um, which it, sort of in the gloominess of my life, then uh, perhaps she stood out especially. And, uh, and yeah, so as I was saying, we began talking. She tells me that she's an IB teacher. It, it was a bit rare for me to find someone related to the IB in the US, especially sort of in the, in the middle of Maine. I think and, uh, some, some people might not know what IB means. Yeah, International Baccalaureate. So it's a, a two-year uh, sort of education, higher education system at the Anna High School um, that you, you either sort of prep for or maybe not, depending on the school. And so in your uh, junior and senior year of high school, you engage in particular classes of this baccalaureate. Um, and another let, word, yeah. And to be clear too, you were, you were born in Italy? And ah, yes. You, uh, I was... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. You were born in Italy and moved to the United States somewhere in there. No. Uh, yeah. So actually, the United States came much later. I was born in Italy. And at the age of one, uh, sort of one and a half, we moved to Tokyo with my family. So we stayed in, in Japan for five years. And then we moved to Hong Kong for five years, uh, then to Italy for four, and then the US for four uh -huh. years. So I, I moved to the US at around the age of 15. You see, you've been around the world already before you got that uh, IB thing. And currently, right. you are talking with us from Italy. Where in Italy? Yeah, uh, I'm in near Bologna, up in the north. Uh, so currently currently in the countryside, uh, which is why I hope Wi-Fi works well uh, during our, our talk right now. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I, I wanted to get us geographically placed since there's a lot of okay. geography in your story. So now I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia, talking to you at that side of Bologna, and uh, you're telling us about uh, an encounter you had in Maine. Okay, so, so we have all that straight. Right. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, that you're sort of setting the cards right. Uh, yes, this encounter happened in Maine. Um, I wish I remembered the exact hill, uh, but uh, so yeah. So I. I Maybe it's also fair for me to say the reason why I decided to take the International Baccalaureate when I was in my in the high school in the US was particularly because of my background in traveling. So it, the International Baccalaureate gives you this potential to travel around because it is recognized by various universities. So uh, it was in sort of right when I started high school in the US, it was an intention for me to go abroad again. Instead, I didn't do that. I remained in the US, uh, you know, in retrospect, predominantly for my relationship at the time. And, um, and sort of when that failed, and also I realized that my degree that I was pursuing wasn't for me, then I decided, okay, now it's time to really make use of the potential of my IB degree, let me go abroad. Now, back to the story, I'm in Maine right now, and I'm, I'm sort of figuring out my life. I meet this person who is this international IB teacher, or at least was for a very long time. And uh, we entered this conversation where I was explaining to her my, my sort of uh, situation. Uh, where I had studied, I, uh, you know, the IB, I was in a university where everybody was doing AP, I wasn't really relating to anyone, they weren't perhaps treating me in the best way. And she gave me the most reassuring sort of message uh, and energy I could have ever asked for. She looked at me directly and she said, don't you worry, you know, with the IB, you're going to go very far, you're going to do a lot of things because it's, it prepares you for, you know, a specific type of lifestyle with specific demands. And, uh, and she really gave me that lift that I needed uh, at the time, given that everything around me was telling me, no, actually, 
you know, you're failing, you're not ready for whatever you're, you know, you're pursuing physics isn't for you and all these various things. I, I, I think it's a, a nice coincidence already that you're wandering around in Maine and you run into somebody who has an inter who teaches in, in the international baccalaureate uh, mm -hmm. area, which made you weird at Stony Brook. Uh, and that is what was driving you to wonder about what was going on with you. You're international and you run into a, a person who teaches what has made you or marked you as strange uh, when you're an undergraduate in physics. So mm -hmm. that could have had a, a somatic effect on you, uh, knowing that she was an IB person. So could you, could, could, was there, I mean, did you feel something funny? Oh, wow, an IB person, besides that you look like an angel. <laughs> well, then this is where I think interception comes in. Interoception is the word. Um, and so it, perhaps to, for, for anyone in the, in the audience hearing this, who doesn't know what interoception is, it's, it's sort of one of our in, internal senses. You know, we have all our five exterior senses. Interoception, um, as uh, you know, alongside vestibular and proprioceptive is sort of our internal sense. And let's, what it does- let, Let's say that's more slowly because uh, you're saying some words that other, other people might not know very well. Uh, interoception, I-N-T-E-R-O, exception, picking it up. Proprioception, which is the ability to be able to know where one's body is in three-dimensional space, which mm -hmm. is a vital thing. And we don't think about anything more than the five senses. These are right. very, very important senses that you're paying attention to. So, so now that we, interoception is, please define that a little more clearly. In, in, in picking up what's inside of you is a simple way of saying it. Right. Whereas vestibular, so right, as you were saying, whereas vestibular is more about your balance, proprioception is more about where your sort of body is in space respect, with respect to you and the environment. Um, interoception is perhaps something a bit more nuanced. We're talking about an internal sense of your heart rate, of your um, sort of the temperature of your body, uh, the, the, um, the level of uh, swollenness in your body. So these are, these are all signals that are sent constantly to your, uh, to your brain. I mean, and there's many more. Uh, in fact, there's usually charts that you know, go all around the body. We're talking about your bladder uh, and, and all these uh, sort of your, your gut, your all stomach. Our internal organs are being registered probably, I, I, I'm trying to say in the insula or the, or the cerebellum, but I'm not sure, but they're registered in different parts of the brain and the brain is communicating with itself as well as the body about what's going on with heart, with lungs, with the bladder, as you're mentioning, maybe blood pressure is also being, is, is being registered. All, all this stuff is like you think of a, uh, of a massive machine uh, that is registering with the, with something maybe noticing all the little lines and giggles and griggles that are going on of these different parts of the body. The brain is registering them in an ongoing way as well as the brain registering where the body is in space, both how it's balanced the, the, and how it's uh, where it is in three-dimensional space. And I, I've, liked, I've liked to get into um, 
what I call human GPS, which uh, has to do with grid cells and place cells in the, in the hip parahippocampal gyrus, where we know where we are relative to other places, other parts of our environment, and know how to get there. It's a map that we develop of our environment. But interoception is what you're focusing on, and we get back to the heart rate and the bladder and blood pressure and all the other things going on in there. So this is what Thomas Baruzzi has been able to start looking at in relationship to coincidences. And here is this IB person coming along like you, studying you and studying what you were doing, teaching what you were interested in, again, making you different from everybody by being an IB student, an international guy anyway. And here she comes along and blesses you, basically. Right. So, so yeah, um, with this, uh, in, I guess what's very interesting about this internal sense, interception, and all the other senses we're talking about, is that a lot is happening in very little time. So when our body is sending signals up to our brain, our brain can't just receive those signals and then send, you know, other signals to the body. It has to sort of predict what's going on. And this is why interoception is very, uh, is a very big to hot topic in predictive processing. Um, you know, the, the mechanism of our, uh, the frame with the philosophical framework that looks at uh, the, how our brains are predictive machines. So we predict the head uh, so we, that, so that we construct a reality. Um, so there's a lot I, of wonderful. I just want to emphasize that it's something that, a lot of people don't really get is that the brains are predictive machines, that the brains are trying to figure out what's going to happen next. We're very future oriented. This prefrontal cortex is so much involved with being able to know what happens. So a lot of this input comes in there so that it might reach consciousness. And then we start making some predictions. But a lot of these predictions are made subconsciously, right? Yeah, most of them, in fact, at various levels of the hierarchy. And that's where it gets really complicated, because now we're talking about various levels across time, right? And, um, and, and it's also important to mention that this predictive power is not just whimsical. You know, these predictions aren't just sort of this a magical aura. These predictions are very real things that are going on uh, that, have to, that relate to very real things in the world, in our bodies, in our minds. And that is also perhaps... Uh, one element of predictive processing that people don't really look into. And these, these experiences, these predictions shape our reality. So now we're talking about interception. If I sense that my heart is beating really, real fast, my, my mind has to look ahead and, and has to begin predicting what is the source of this, of this beating? You know, how do I make sense of this fast beating in this precise moment, giving the signals that I'm receiving? And depending on the context, the mind is going to make, uh, you know, various uh, interpretations that lead to various experiences. Yeah, you know, there's that famous, uh, you know, scary bridge study where they made uh, many uh, sort of men, walk, uh, heterosexual men cross a bridge uh, that created a lot of fear inside them. And then, you know, they were presented with uh, a potential partner and they sort of tested the correlation between the fear that they felt and the transferal of arousal towards that partner. So in other words, the brain uh, interpreted the fear of the bridge um, of, of this sort of suspended bridge as actual passion or attraction towards this other person. And our, our, you know, maybe if they had uh, presented a bear at the end of this bridge, something else would have happened with this fear, it would have become hatred or something of this, of this kind. Um, and, and maybe to give another example that extends beyond our body, if we're talking about actual extension 
into the world, if I'm tired and I see uh, a sort of a, a slope, studies have found that I, I tend to, um, I'm going to tend to uh, assume that that slope is steeper than it actually is. Uh, if I am tired compared to someone who isn't fatigued. So maybe if I have just finished a run. So these are all wonderful ways. And that, just those are, that, that, that's a very, those are very interesting ideas that you are describing. I've never heard them. So uh, I, I think they're worth uh, just mulling over a little bit. Uh, a scary bridge and then sees a potential partner and the brain interprets the, the the arousal to the anticipation of seeing this other person and meeting this other person rather than the fear of the bridge itself. And even better, I think, is this, uh, if you're tired, the slope looks more steep. Uh, and right. it, that's uh, it, how body you're saying influences our perception. Right. In a reception specifically. Right, right. And uh, I guess quick other examples, if something is hard to reach, I, you know, again, studies have found that I will tend to uh, believe that it is farther away. So they keep on going. And I, I, obviously, you know, there's controversy and there's discussions around these topics, but it seems to be something that's going on. Our, our experience is definitely shaped by sort of prediction and by the states of our bodies in the world. That's something we can definitely say for sure, because we have to remember that while it might seem like our brain is getting the direct information it's, it's not. Our brain is connected at the end of, you know, nerves that are just getting electrical signals. And the brain needs to, it needs to interpret where these signals are coming from. Um, so perhaps this is now a big overview of interception and predictive processing real quickly. Now, if you go sort of zoom, zoom in back into the story, uh, I think the interceptive part came in long before I actually spoke to the person. I think the, the part where interception played a role was when I already when I saw her walking from the top of the hill down towards us. Um, and this is speculative, uh, but I, I would say easy to believe. Um, if you consider the state of mind that I was in back then, my body was looking for something, right? My body was looking, my mind, my body uh, in this sort of interconnected loop, they were looking for some sort of inspiration, some positive energy. This is why perhaps I was in Maine. Um, well, you know, I was there to enjoy with my family, get, get away, but I was looking for something, right? And so what happened when the person, when this angel uh, came over, over the hill is my body saw her and her body saw mine. And now we, now we engage in this sort of exchange when, uh, for example, me seeing her smile, me seeing her stride, uh, perhaps the, the nuances of her pose uh, and how she held herself, most likely... Um, inspired feelings inside myself that made me that, you know, that my mind interpreted as feelings that I needed to listen to. So when this person came towards me, instead of my mind being like, oh, let them pass, or don't look at them, look away, or, you know, try to avoid this person, you know, my, my body and my mind were actually tuned to this person, they wanted to uh, interact with them. And this is where interception comes in. Seeing that person come over the hill inspired emotions and, and somatic feelings inside me. And, and then my mind interpreted them as feelings that I needed to pay attention to. And that's when I engaged in this conversation with, with this stranger. And, you know, why this particular stranger? It probably, you know, has a, a huge causal connection of, you know, she's an IB teacher, which means she's a specific type of person, which uh, likely means that she, she gives off a specific type of energy which she did in that precise moment. And those are the things that I 
sort of held onto that my body picked up on self uh, up subconsciously. And so uh, if that, if I had to sort of put interception into the story, that's where I would put it. And what I love about doing so is that it, it makes coincidences, it, it grounds coincidences a lot more into the actual world itself. The this particular details are hard to pinpoint. We're talking about subconscious um, sort of things in the world that my body is picking up on and then sort of interpreting and acting on and then creating other things into the world that then sort of loop into these, these dynamic sort of back and forths of information. These are hard things to pinpoint, but they're very real, right? You know, it, it, it all ties back to the studies that show that if I smile at you, you're likelier to smile back at me. You know, the same way that if you uh, engage, interact with a baby, they, babies already know it from the very start. It's one of their sort of most fundamental instincts. If they are smiling at me and I don't smile back, the baby's going to get anxious. It, it, it understands, um, perhaps not consciously, that there's something wrong. And this is where interception plays a role, right? You smile at me, it inspires feeling in myself, feelings in myself, uh, or sort of there'd be yeah, emotions that then I interpret into feelings if we're taking sort of Antonio Damasio's perspective. And, um, and, and then that creates a back and forth. I smile back at you, et cetera. And this is what happened with me and this stranger. This is what created the coincidence uh, where now my history as an IB student and her history as an IB teacher got connected by the ways that our bodies were interacting in the world. Uh, that's, a, that's your, that's your uh, very quick way of describing something that's pretty complicated, as you were also already saying. Um, I'm going to back it away a little bit, and then we'll come back to this, because uh, there are some other elements in here that are I'll describe as more descriptive, psychological, that the coincidences tend to be increasing, and that's what one of the things we're talking about is what increases coincidence, not, not only what makes them happen, they're related to what increases them. The coincidences take place when there is need, when there is high emotion, and when there is a life transition or life stressor. And those three applied to you in this circumstance. You had a need to figure out what you were gonna do with yourself, where are you going to go with yourself? You were in a, that transition that was part of that. And you were emotionally charged for those reasons. And you're with your parents too. And you're, out, you're outside on a vacation, which increases things as well. So those, are, those tend to influence interoception states uh, as your external events creating internal events. But when you talk about your energy and her energy, somehow aligning with each other that you saw her at a distance and somehow that was like a baby smiling and the person smiling back that there was a kind of a concordance between the two of you i need a little bit more description of that particular interchange because it's more subtle than two people smiling at each other right um and so this sort of ties back to uh, what I was saying earlier, it wasn't just about the smiling, because if anything, I only saw the smiling towards when she was closer to me. Yeah. It has something to do with a particular poise, a particular approach, perhaps uh, her gait, the speed of her walking. Um, 
And you know, the, the, you can tell a lot uh, from just someone's appearance. And the, in, way in they fact, move, and the way they move. And right. I, I think you're trying, uh, you're making a connection between her inner state, what, her, what she was intercepting herself, and what you could pick up from her at a distance. Mm -hmm. And what you saw about her, I think you're saying was in affecting your own body state, your own interoception. Isn't that what you're saying? Right. Right. So, um, right. Uh, let me let me first say that, like you said, you can tell a lot from someone's body. There's uh, studies looking into how uh, if you just have sort of point lighters on, um, if, if you put points for lights on for example, a male's body, and you make them dance. So now you're removing every element of their personality, of their sort of uh, body type, body symmetry, etc. Now we only have points that show their movements. If you show uh, those videos to uh, participants, they can tell pretty accurately uh, what personality uh, that person has based on the, their movements they're dancing. Uh, and this this is sort of this is exactly what I'm trying to hack into. When I saw this stranger come down from the hill, her body posture and approach um, inspired my body to now orientate towards her. So this is what I'm it's it, it sort of invited me to um, invite. Her, yeah, sort of invited me to welcome her into my space. And, you know, why can this be the case? I wasn't as you said, I was in a place of need. So I, I knew that I, I was subconsciously, perhaps, I knew that I was looking for a specific energy in a person. I was looking for specific interactions that I was lacking in that period. And on, on the reverse, perhaps she was looking for people to help, or maybe she was in, in a sort of state of mind, state of body uh, that she picked up on people like me who were in need and wanted to spread that energy. As I said, you know, again, based on my memory, this stranger came directly towards us. Uh, there seemed to be no intention for her to walk past us. There seemed to be a, a almost conscious intention for her to talk to us. Um, and uh, yeah, and sort of those are the things that I'm referring to. I, I enjoy the idea that you're using the word dance. Um, mm. And you use it in describing what you do. You dance among and between several different kinds of apparently separate subjects. And here you're, you talked about dance and, and the lights, that people could see how the lights are dancing. And, uh, I, I like to go to dance and it's very, um, it's very illustrative of human relationships because it's nonverbal. We, we're not allowed to talk, at least not very much. So that there are people who dance and dance individually at this dance. It's a do whatever you want kind of dancing and the, just go with the music and just have to go and feel in with it and just you know, hit, hit whatever you're happening with. And that can that's what you're describing with sometimes I can or somebody else we can be dancing across the floor with each other when we start getting closer to each other and we get in sync with each other and you're describing almost the same thing with this woman coming down towards you and you towards her and the two of you are somehow having a, a set of what you might be calling interoception but it's visual to the other person uh, and that's attracting you to each other. Right. And it's beautiful. And I'm very happy that you're mentioning dance. Um, so let me say, first of all, that the Navy SEALs, when they speak about entering flow states, uh, they talk about a particular energy between them. They don't, they aren't separate individuals in one group. They're now a unit that is 
flowing again uh, based on each other's energies. Uh, there is no time for thinking. There is no time for communicating in, in words. There is only time for looking and doing and, um, and predicting mainly. Now, uh, why, the reason why perhaps I use the word dance a lot is because I am a dancer myself. I began with hip hop and break dance in my life. And, and those are very, very much individual dances. You know, it's you against everybody else, right? I need to show you how I'm better than you. And I, to be honest, did not really enjoy those types of dances. That's why when I moved to, you know, when I entered university, I began Latin dancing. So now I'm a salsa and bachata dancer. I perform, I go to congresses. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID, that's been sort of halted for a very, very long time, too long. Uh, but here's the beautiful thing about salsa and bachata dancing, which I promise you, anybody who's ever started uh, always tells me that it changed their life. Uh, and the reason why it's amazing is because it hacks into this fundamental way of connecting uh, with another human being that has nothing to do with words. Uh, to a lot of people, it might be a bit too sensual of a dance, uh, or, or perhaps they would say too sexual. But then what, what a lot of Latin dancers reply is that it's not sexual, it's sensual. We're talking here about energies with strangers that have nothing to do with necessarily your attraction to them. But what it, it just has to do with how your bodies are flowing together and this feeling of joy, this feeling of flow that you get. And I, I strongly believe that Latin dance can only work uh, if your bodies have an understanding of each other. Um, I, as a leader, need to sort of send, you know, what move I want to do next through to my hand to you. You as a follower need to, you know, be on your toes to get ready for that move and all the moves coming next. And is perhaps one of the most beautiful things when you enter into a Latin dance uh, club and you see everybody in this flow. Uh, then the music stops and you get into it with somebody else. Uh, and I think one beautiful place of, uh, that requires research is um, peripersonal, peripersonal space in the context of dance. Peripersonal spaces. What's a yeah. peripersonal state? Uh, a, a peripersonal space is that space right um, on the right outside your body. It's that space that I, um, I almost, as soon as something enters that space, I react to it even automatically. It's kind of like when something, maybe a, a tree branch brushes close to your face and you close your eyes. Uh, it is that it, and neurons actually activate when specific objects are close to our, um, peripersonal space. For example, our hand, if I have an object close to my hand, uh, there are specific neurons in my brain that will react to that. Uh, and so it, it's, the interesting thing that it's not just about what's close to my eyes, it's about what's close to my body. So even my feet, my legs. Uh, and I think one interesting, again, as I said, place of, uh, of research to be conducted is that of dance. Can I, you know, um, what research has found is that we can extend our peripersonal space. So if, for example, if I have an object next to my hand, a tool, for example, it'll activate these neurons. If I then train myself to, you know, reach, actually sort of reach this object with a stick, now my, these same neurons will activate when that object is at the end of the stick, not just my hand. So now I have extended my peripersonal space. And I think what would be so interesting is to look at how peripersonal space can be sort of manipulated or expanded in the realm of dance. You know, if, for example, in Latin dancing, you often are in very tight spaces. And if I'm dipping, uh, you know, or, or head rolling uh, my partner, I need to make sure that she isn't hitting anybody else or that her head isn't hitting the elbow of the dancer right next to us. And I believe that the only proper way to do that, uh, once you, I guess, once you enter into maybe a more uh, intermediate uh, dance level, 
is to have a sense of their body and what is close to their body and making that part of your body, right? So that you can, you know, in quick time, avoid any obstacles, continue the dance and make sure nobody gets hurt. I, I, that's beautiful. I, I have found myself sometimes entering that peripersonal state not on purpose because what we're this there's not a leader thing in the kind of dance we do sometimes there is but there tends to be a, a, a something towards mirroring where we mirror each other uh, and follow each other's movements and put movements together as one tries something else and the other one tries something else but so, sometimes uh, I've, I've gotten too close where I have brushed into that peripersonal space without touching the person, but it's created a bit of a response in the other person. Uh, I, I tend to think in terms of energy on the dance floor, you can't help not think of energy when you're on the dance floor because it's floating around all the time and you get to be able to exchange energy with other people in a way that is beautiful for everybody it's nurturing it's helpful but sometimes that energy space around the person gets intruded upon and that's what you're calling a peri peri personal state but what what do you think about this interpersonal energy idea well, I, I love it. Uh, in fact, I wanted to perhaps even say this earlier uh, when you mentioned relationships. Um, I think one of the most fascinating things when we're talking about uh, people and, and, and flow states and dance is those moments when two complete strangers at opposite ends of the club look at each other, dance, walk towards each other, and without saying anything, begin to sort of dance together or kiss. And then a few minutes later, the song ends, they break away, you know, same life as always, you know, they, uh, and they <laughs> yeah, don't know each other's names. What happened in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. It stays in right, Las Vegas. Right, right. One of the funny things I keep running into is then talking with that person later. Some, mm. And it's, it just blows up the dancing capacity. It, right. It, it, I can't dance with them. I mean, I had some beautiful dances like that with the beginning, but then we start to talk later and it's gone. What, what happens? What's going on there, Thomas? Right. Well, I guess that's when you're now starting to uh, reveal more and uh, perhaps you, now you're starting to play with each other's energies, as you put it, or play with each other's bodies and you're experimenting with each other. Now you get a greater sense of, you know, can I work with them? And obviously words aren't just words. They're tied to your mind or your body and your experience in life. So then the, now we're entering into a big soup of things. Um, but uh, in those moments when all you have is the body and the music and the beats, that's when very beautiful things can happen between people that don't get, might not get along. You know, I've had wonderful uh, dance relationships, even bodily relationships with people that actually when, when we conversed on a day-to-day -day basis, we would argue all the time, Yeah, you know? Yeah, it's, it's I, I've got that. Yeah. yeah. I would like I would like to get uh, get us back to the coincidence business, but I somehow I am very connected with both energy, interpersonal energy, and coincidences. Mm -hmm. Somehow they are both two important ideas in my mind. Uh, there's a modern science does not admit to interpersonal energy. It just doesn't mm -hmm. exist. It just we know it happens when you're on the dance floor. Particularly, you know, it's happening. So, but they're somehow connected with each other. But here we're talking about trying in, this, in these last uh, 10 or 15 minutes we've got together to try to be able to say, 
what does what does interoception, as we've gone around talking about it, have to do with the creation of meaningful coincidences, serendipity, and synchronicity? Well, I guess this ties. You know, now we can tie this back to the story and and still keep it within the realm of relationships. Um, you know, for example, uh, I had a specific interpersonal energy with the stranger that I met on the hill, it turned out that we had very similar, perhaps, uh, or maybe not very similar lifestyles, but there was one fundamental core uh, that we shared, and that was the IB. Uh, and what we know about the IB is that it fosters a specific type of pattern of thinking, a specific type of attitude to life. Uh, you know, that's, it's a standardized type of uh, program that is delivered the same, more or less the same way to all of the students who take it around the world. So it you know, obviously every student is different, but it fundamentally creates some sort of similarity. And this similarity bleeds into your approach to life. Um, so, for example, now, if we tie it to relationships, why is it that a lot of the times we, you know, we meet someone and immediately just by looking at them, we know that we vibe, so, you know, for modern lingo with them. Uh, and then when we actually get to meet them, maybe fall in love, maybe enter into a relationship, we realize that, oh, well, we have so many similarities. Our past is so similar. Our family situation is so similar. Why is this the case? Well, that's because uh, particular interactions in the world have particular consequences. Um, the same way that, you know, if you meet a very confident person, you know, a lot of people misconceive of this person as perhaps egotistic, you know, they have everything they want in life. But the reality is that a lot of confident people are confident or so jo jolly uh, and opportunistic and optimistic in life, particularly because maybe they had to force that into themselves. They had to, you know, forcefully be confident and optimistic because the life around them was not very optimistic. And that's why when a lot of, when two confident people meet, um, a lot of the times they have this relationship. Uh, they, they are, and, and they, they can understand this before they talk to each other. If I just look at a confident person and I'm a confident person myself, I can already sort of tell by the specific way that they move, the specific things they say, um, you know, that we might have a similarity, most likely, uh, that has, you know, led us both to be th th this confident. And when I say I can tell, it's not just me consciously doing it in my mind, my body can tell specifically, uh, you know, in relation to that person, my body will react in ways that perhaps welcome that person in my life. If I, you know, if I, if I have had a, a difficult past myself, and it has led to particular behaviors in my life, if I see those behaviors in someone else, it's going to open up my body, you know, uh, and then now we're talking about the specific sort of uh, um, the specific processes that we were saying earlier, heartbeat, uh, sort of the, um, uh, the uh, um, sort of electrical uh, conductivity of my skin. These are all things that th these are arousal. These are um, properties of arousal and me seeing sort of another person interact in the world can spark this arousal in me that already, you know, when my mind interprets it, says a lot, says more than the words that perhaps will speak to each other. Uh, we're going to have to be wrapping this up in a, in a bit. And the way I relate what you're saying is that, is that interpersonal coincidences is, are based on this kind of... Uh, interoceptive recognition of the other's similarities to you. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that this, 
like people meet across the room uh, or meet in an airplane or or just meet at a, a conference and say let's have coffee together or something and then something is happening right then when they start talking that is a recognition of the similarities that has to do with body states functioning in similar ways right and maybe to uh to not again because perhaps a lot of this is argumentative speculative but also very real to not uh, conclude something too harsh i guess what i'm saying is that um that's something that isn't too controversial in itself is that our experiences our mental um uh, formulations our our thoughts our personalities actually have very real effects into the world our past experiences can be seen in the present can be maybe seen, not can be seen uh physiologically right physiologically and by uh, seeing you also mean experience uh right you can be with someone it's not necessarily a visual thing you're right. talking about perception that we can perceive the other person's experience in life and somehow when it's like mine that becomes a resonant which brings the two people together in what might be called oh a major coincidence look right at somebody who's really important to me right and so the purpose of this is to um bring coincidences coincidences down from the clouds to really uh, instantiate them and integrate them into real world things. And this is one way in which you can do it. You can talk about these in subconscious interceptive signals that are tuning my body and mind to specific things in the world that mean something to me, even on a subconscious level. Um, and, uh, and that then connect us to other people that have sort of similar ways, um, that sort of have similar paths or maybe similar personalities or, or just similarities in general that have real consequences onto the world. And then sort of these now consequences collide when we meet, um, and the, again, many studies, you know, there's many studies looking into the, you know, very, very, very simply in the way that our bodies uh, reveal things, you know, uh, one quick that I can think off the top of my head, there's a study uh, that I read not too long ago that that said that uh, you can actually tell if a person is very promiscuous, specifically from not even, uh, yeah, even just their facial structure, but uh, their, their posture, their uh, personality, their behavior. Um, and uh, right. Well, we're going to wrap this up with a term interoceptive signals. Interoceptive signals. That's Thomas, that's what I come away with as a summary of what you're telling us that it's not just interoceptions, which is where I thought of it before, it's just the brain picking up stuff from the internal states. It's that, that the other person can consciously and subconsciously pick up what's being signaled inside the other person. Right. That's cool. That's cool. It just speaks to the dynamic interactions that we're all a part of in this world. It speaks to the dynamic interactions of which we are all part of in this world. Thomas Baruzzi, thank you very, very much for talking with me and being on our show. Thank you very much for valuing my words and engaging in this exchange of ideas with me. You're welcome. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere, like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.